This is Bigger Questions with your host, Robert Martin. Welcome to Bigger Questions, recorded live in the city of Melbourne. Today's big question, how do I handle the pressure to have it all? We're asking this question today to Andrew Laird. Now, Andrew works for City Bible Forum in Melbourne and directs Life at Work, an initiative aimed at connecting Christian faith with our daily work. He's also an author of a book, Under Pressure, How the Gospel Helps Us Handle the Pressure of Daily Work. And he joins me now. Please welcome Andrew Laird. Andrew, welcome to Bigger Questions. Thank you. Now, you've written a book about pressure. Now, when I type in under pressure book into Google, your book doesn't appear until the second page. Okay. Now, so there's lots of other books about called under pressure, about yep. cooking, sports, performing under pressure, and even a romance novel. So do you think that the popularity of under pressure as a title means that lots of people feel under pressure? Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I watch a bit of sport and I particularly enjoy watching cycling. Yeah. And uh, the number of times I'm watching cycling and in the commentary, the phrase under pressure is used. And there's not too many sporting events that you, you don't wa- you watch and uh, they use that phrase. So yeah. It's a, it's a common phrase, common in our um, sporting commentaries, common, uh, common in that world. But particularly uh, in my experience... Speaking with people who are in the workplace, I found it was a phrase that people used a lot to yeah. describe how they were feeling about their work and life. Yeah, yeah. So was this why you wrote the book about it? Well, partly. I mean, I'll be honest with you. Uh, one of the main reasons I wrote it was actually for myself. <laughs> okay. Um, in that I wrestle with pressure and uh, in particular the pressure to have it all as we're talking about today. And so in some ways, first and foremost, I was, I was writing it for myself, trying to figure it out for myself. How do I handle it? Yeah. But I had a hunch, as I said, speaking with other people in the workplace, that uh, it might not just be me who, uh, who had this question. So your book isn't a romance novel specifically. It focuses on work and the pressures connected to that. And you think that the Christian message, the, the gospel, uh, has something worthwhile to say to it? Yeah. I mean, one of my convictions as a Christian person is that the is that the Christian faith has something to say to all of life, including the pressure and the busyness of life too. Mm, Right. Well, to kick off bigger questions, we'd like to ask a couple of smaller questions. We do try to have a bit of fun on the show. Today we're asking Andrew Laird about the pressure to have it all. So, Andrew, I thought we'd test you on how much you know about having it all. Now, do you feel qualified at all? We'll probably come to this today and talk about my own uh, pursuit of trying to have it all. So yeah, maybe I'm qualified. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we'll see how you go. Two questions, both multiple choice. Okay. Question one, having it all is often associated with several acronyms encouraging the maximization of life. So which of the following acronym is not directly connected with the idea of living your life and having it all? Is it A, FOMO, B, YOLO, C, JOLO, which is J-O-L-O, mm-hmm. or D-J-Lo. Okay. Well, I, I know it's not the first one. Right. Um, FOMO, because I actually mentioned that in the, okay. one of the chapters <laughs> yep. of the book. Yep. And I also know it's not uh, YOLO, you only live once. Yeah. I've never heard of uh, what JOLO. JOLO, yeah. So I'm going to go with uh, D-J-Lo, the singer. And the answer is indeed J-Lo. D, uh, G- J-Lo, of course, is the nickname of actress and singer Jennifer Lopez, and I'm sure, who I'm sure is a big fan of this show. Um, JLo is actually a bit of a counter trend, but it's actually joy of missing out, encouraging people to do what they already know, what makes them happy. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. So perhaps for another chapter in the book, perhaps. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Question two. 
Uh, the 1989 song I Want It All by the British rock band Queen starts with the lyrics, I want it all, I want it all, I want it all. What is the next line? Is it A, and I want a cow? <laughs> B, and I want to plough? C, and I want it now? Or D, and I want to wipe my brow? So which of those, one of those is actually correct. Which of those is the next line in Queen's I Want It All song? I'll show my age here a little bit. The Queen is slightly before. I'm a child of the 90s. So okay. that was... This is 89. Was, yeah, so it just, it just misses out. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have that as an excuse if I get it wrong. Okay. Um, I'll go with perhaps the most obvious one, which would be with, with C. The cow. Oh, sorry. No, sorry. sorry. So you want it... I'll go C. I want it now. Yes, that's correct. It is actually correct. Yes, so I want it now. Uh, I want it all and I want it now. So Andrew, well, you have it all. I did, I got Because you two. have two of our two smaller <laughs> questions right. A big round of applause. <laughs> so do you think that these ideas of having it all and having it now resonate in our culture? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the, the phrase having it all crops up all the time and in many different places. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, my reading, in writing that book, preparing for it, I just was struck by how frequently that phrase is used. In fact, one author... Um, Roman Grisnarek, who's written a book called How to Find Fulfilling Work, yeah. he talks about in, in that book about uh, having it all now is a, a widespread Western ambition. Right. That in the West, we're all trying to have it all. And I think there's a key reason for that. It's related to the wealth that we enjoy in the West. Yeah, okay. So we're wealthy, so we have options. Is that right? Exactly right. Yeah, this, when you're wealthy, one of the things that comes with that is choice. And all of those choices are before us. And a lot of them are really, really good choices. And so the pressure comes to try and enjoy it all and have it all. <laughs> and you're also saying that they're, what, potentially attainable as well, these choices? Some of them. Yeah. Some of them. But I think perhaps this will discover or talk about that having them all is, is actually an impossibility. Right. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll get to that. So, but reflecting on um, the pressure to have it all actually forms the basis of your very first chapter in your book, Under Pressure. So why did you start the book that way? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, Pressure can be internal and external. And often when we talk about pressure, and particularly the pressures of work, we usually talk about things outside of us that are, that are pressing on us, perhaps a, a demanding boss, yep. um, for example. But I wanted to start the book by actually thinking not so much about the things outside of us that might be causing us pressure, but actually the ways in which we might be putting pressure on ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so this pressure to have it all is usually, although not entirely, but usually it's self-inflicted. What are some of the choices that we are faced with as we think about the, the many choices, you know, wealthy generations or an options generation, what are the, some of the choices that we are faced with? Yeah, I mean, I think of a, a trivial example, if, if you like to begin with. Uh, I was in a cafe this morning having breakfast and there would have been 10 to 15 to 20 drinks on the menu that I could have chosen from. Yep. Uh, similar number of items on the food menu that I could have chosen from. And so, so much choice yeah. there. You walk down the supermarket aisle and you notice there the choice, which just as an aside is why I really love shopping at Aldi because they've removed the choice for you. It's <laughs> just one of everything. So that makes but, it... But they're, but they're small examples, but they do speak to the choice and, yeah. the, and the wealth we enjoy. Yeah. So is that connected then to the fear of missing out? When you make an order at a cafe sure, and then you have sort of is it a menu envy yeah. when somebody who orders something else on the plate and it looks better yeah, definitely. and you kind of think, oh, if only I'd gone with a smashed avocado rather than my kind of you know, muesli, for example. Absolutely. And so they're, they're kind of daily ones and maybe small trivial ones. But you can see this in perhaps bigger areas of life, certainly in terms of uh, work life, mm -hmm. um, the pressure to have it all there that no longer is it good enough to just get a degree, wanting to retrain, upskill, uh, do it, get an MBA, 
get a PhD. Yep. And uh, in the kind of work that a lot of people are in these days, the knowledge industry, where if we can think it, then there's potential to do it. That also creates a pressure as well in terms of options before us in yeah. the workplace. Well, because work becomes what almost limitless, I suppose. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But isn't it just a, a bit of a life stage thing, though? You know, particularly, you know, pressure comes when you have, say, a, a young family. Uh, you're establishing a career. You're still young enough to enjoy and perhaps still be good at sports and physical challenges. So. Isn't it just simply a, a juggle, uh, to, a challenge just to juggle everything? Yeah, look, I think there's some truth to that in that particular seasons of life or the way that life is structured can make this pressure more acute. And certainly the people who I speak to are perhaps uh, in that stage of life where they've got young kids, mm -hmm. then it's particularly acute there. But having spoken to people in a variety of different stages of life, I'm not sure that that is exactly true in that you can speak to plenty of people who are single, and yet they feel that pressure. Yeah, uh, it can just look different ways in, in different seasons of life. Mm. But what about then the celebrities? Like, you know, for example, David Beckham, the football player, you know, his model wife, he's rich, athletic, good-looking, happy family, travels the world in luxury. Doesn't he have it all? Well, from the outside, I guess that's what it looks like, isn't it? Yeah. Um, isn't that what we aspire to, though? And that, Yeah, and in many ways, that's the aspiration. Uh, they're held up as, as these are the, the kind of life you can enjoy and the kind of experiences that you can enjoy. Um, now, not knowing David Beckham firsthand, <laughs> I suspect, though, having seen enough interviews with those kinds of people, a common thread that runs through them all also is that sense of there's still an emptiness there, that even though I have seemingly attained everything, there's still things that feel like I haven't quite got that yet. Mm, uh, mm, there's always mm. another rung. Yeah. So as we think about these pressures, we talked about some of these different types of pressures that drive this. There's the internal ones and external ones. Can you maybe explore a bit more the internal pressures? What, what are the, some of the motivations that want us to have this, have it all? Yeah, so in, in, in trying to define the, the word pressure, I, I guess I looked at it and recognised that, that pressure often uh, is thought of only in terms of external terms. So if you look at a dictionary definition of pressure, for example, most of them are in terms of the idea of something pressing in on us or squeezing us yeah. external to us. So in the workplace, as I said, it could be a, a boss or... Demanding or deadlines. Demanding deadlines. Just lots all of work that to do. kind of thing. Um, and that's absolutely a key aspect of pressure. But from a Christian perspective, which is where I'm thinking from as well, is that oftentimes it can be internal as well, in that we, there can be things that we desire in our hearts that may be good things, some of them may be bad things, um, and our desire and our longing for those things and trying to gain and attain those things, we put enormous pressure on ourselves. Yeah. Whether it's in work life, uh, home life, um, entertainment, travel, all those kind of experiences that we want to enjoy. And so uh, for those of us who have to-do lists, oftentimes we're, we're the ones responsible for having a really long to-do list. Yeah, but that's not always necessarily a bad thing. I mean, there's a saying no. that, you know, pressure builds diamonds, so pressure makes diamonds, etc. So yes. that's not necessarily bad, though. It just can help you to get things done, doesn't it? Yeah, so that's the other important aspect to think about in terms of pressure when we're defining it. We want to think about pressure both as external pressures and internal. But also, pressure is a negative thing, which is usually how we talk about it. But also recognising that pressure and a good amount of pressure is actually a positive thing. So, I mean, there's a number of scenarios in life. I mean, you mentioned the, the diamond having pressure, as a coal having pressure and becoming the diamond. I was uh, pumping up a, a soccer ball uh, recently for my son, and where you stick the needle into the ball, it says recommended pressure. As right. in that there's a good amount of pressure that if there's not enough pressure in that ball, then it just it, it flops around the yard too much, it explodes. And so, 
there is a good amount of pressure to have in our lives in, in pushing us and driving us towards good goals. Yeah. So then how do we work out what that is? That's the challenge, isn't it? <laughs> That's the real challenge. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, someone said that, uh, a meme online which said that the pressure that can turn a lump of coal into a flawless diamond or can also turn an average person into a perfect basket case. Yes. So pressure could have the same impact uh, depending on the circumstance. So how do we work out the difference? Yeah, well, as a Christian person, my response to that is that, that the Christian faith gives, gives wisdom and resources mm-hmm. to be able to handle that and to try and negotiate and navigate that. And also the Christian faith is actually a community and that within the Christian community is often where I find the resources as well from one and up from other people. So what are some of the pressures that you feel personally? Um, so I'm in a season of life, a similar to one you mentioned a moment ago, where I have a family, three young kids. Yeah. Um, but something that I have uh, always loved and really pu- pushed myself on in that area is actually the area of work. I've always been, I think, a reasonably driven person yep. and have uh, always loved work and actually found a lot of satisfaction in my work as well too. I've enjoyed work. And so as a result, I have uh, oftentimes created more and more uh, responsibilities, opportunities, burdens even sometimes upon myself in, in work life mm. because, uh, because of striving to have it all uh, in that context. And one of the things I mentioned in, in this chapter of the book is that combining that with a season of life with young children and the pressures to have it all in terms of perfect family life, those two things combine my drive to have it all in the workplace, that together can put an enormous amount of pressure on me. One of the uh, cruel ironies of writing a book about pressure is that uh, actually writing that book put an enormous amount of pressure on me and as a result pressure on my family too. And I can unpack that for you a little bit if you like. Yeah, sure, please. Yeah, what, um, so what, what happened? Yeah, well, the, obviously writing the book falls in that category of, uh, of work and uh, I didn't necessarily have to do that. There was a, there was a, a small degree of external pressure, mm-hmm. um, good pressure to think about that and pursue that. Oh, but it's, also, it's a good thing to write a book. Absolutely. And, um, but also there was a lot of uh, internal pressure driving me there. The pressure to have it all, if you like, in the workplace and what that looked like in my context was publishing. But I remember a moment really clearly, as though it was yesterday, where suddenly I realised, whoa, I'm in way too deep in terms of the pressure to have it all and trying to juggle family responsibilities and work responsibilities. And that was six days after um, my third daughter was born. I was on paternity leave, and uh, or so-called paternity leave, although <laughs> the reality was I was on my, apart from the day she was born, I was on my work emails most days. But six days after she was born, it was 8.30 at night, my wife and I had got our two eldest kids off to bed, asleep, and I'd said to her, look, you go, you go get some sleep now while you can, because, you know, it's like newborns, babies up all night. And so the house was quiet, all the lights were out, and I was sitting in the lounge room, all the lights out in the lounge room too. And we had our six-day-old daughter uh, at my feet in a bassinet, she was asleep too. And the only light in the room was the light coming from my laptop that I had on my lap, desperately trying to finalise the edits for this book Mm. under pressure (laughs) and I remember still clearly looking over the top of the laptop and seeing my six-day-old daughter there and thinking my goodness how have I got myself into this wow mess because it felt like a mess to in one sense the enormous pressure that I was under to meet these deadlines and really at that point 
there was no no going back. Yeah, the wheels were in motion, and you perhaps know what that experience is like in the in the workplace when the <laughs> wheels are in motion, and you realise, whoa, I'm in way too deep. <laughs> But actually, I can't get out at this point. So you've lost control, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So does that mean that we shouldn't buy your book because you, you have no credibility <laughs> in, in this area about telling us how to handle yeah. pressure? Yeah, it's a great question. <laughs> and I think that's a good question to ask. Um, I should say that, that the result was that inevitably I crashed. Just, right. Just got burnt out from all of that. And that took and entered into a season of really needing to recover, which only just in some ways beginning to, to come out of now. Um, but in answer to your question, well, why read a book about pressure from someone who clearly doesn't know how to handle it? <laughs> I liken it to the back of an ambulance. Yeah. But in the back of an ambulance, there are two types of people. There's paramedics and there's patients. And the paramedic has expertise that they can apply to the patient, um, but they perhaps don't know what the patient's going through firsthand. But the patient does know what it's like to go through it firsthand because they're going through it. And so they bring a sense of understanding and empathy even to that situation that perhaps the paramedic, unless they have experienced it for themselves, can't necessarily bring. And so mm. when I wrote this book, I was writing it as a paramedic and uh, trying to bring my thinking and wisdom and thoughts on this topic uh, and to apply it to the patients who might read it. The reality is now that I... I'm a patient yeah. too, right? Yeah. So I speak as both patient and, <laughs> and paramedic. So what's as a patient then, yeah. uh, who's written that book as a paramedic? What's your advice for handling the pressure to have it all? Yeah, well, one of the cruel ironies as well of that book is that as I, um, after really crashing out, um, looking back at that book, noticing in there, uh, coincidentally or perhaps providentially, I'd say as a Christian person. There's a whole lot of truths in there from the Bible that actually were profoundly helpful for me in that moment. Right. Today we're asking Andrew Laird today's big question, how to handle the pressure to have it all. And the Bible does offer an answer to this in one of the Psalms, which is an Old Testament book of the Bible. So was it Psalm 73? Yeah, that was an imp- that's an important Psalm I, I reflected on in the book and I now have reflected on more so um, as a patient yeah. in terms of helping me there. So Psalm 73, 25 to 26 says... Whom have I in heaven but you, and earth has nothing I desire besides you? My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Mm. So how did this help you? Yeah, in a a couple of key ways. One of the things that's happening for us when we're trying to have it all is that there's a gap that we're trying to fill, whether it's with publishing a book, Mm -hmm. some sort of work accomplishment, some sort of relational accomplishment, um, some sort of experience, and you get those, and yet there's still a gap. And what this psalm is saying is that, is that actually God is enough. That the psalmist says, he in and of himself, who he is, satisfies me completely. Mm. Uh, that when you encounter him and you meet the God of the Bible through Jesus, you, what you do is you, you find a God who is holy and majestic and glorious and and actually satisfies all of those longings that you have. So how does he satisfy you? It's in himself. Mm-hmm. But one of the key aspects of it and, um, that, that comes out in, in, in another psalm is actually that he is constant. Mm-hmm. So the success, so-called, the so-called success of work, it's there one day and it's gone the next. Yeah. You've got to prove yourself again another day. Relationships <laughs> can go. Um, 
uh, ultimately through death. Um, children who you can pour all of your energy into, and that is a good thing to do, to pour love and energy and attention into them, they can reject you. There's no guarantee of them returning that love. The experiences that you have, the first thing I do after I come back from a holiday is I start planning the next holiday because <laughs> it hasn't been enough. And so those things, they're there and they're fleeting. But the mm. thing about God is his constancy. He's unchanging, he's always present, and he's good. Mm. Mm. The famous early church theologian Augustine of Hippo once said, uh, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. Do you agree with his assessment? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I guess that's what I'm speaking of. That there's, a, there's a restlessness that exists in our lives when we're trying to have it all with work, family, pleasure, entertainment. Mm -hmm. And that, well, that's what the psalmist is testifying to, that even if all those things are stripped away, he says, even if my flesh, my soul, you know, my heart might fail, as he's talking about, his, even if my health goes, I've still got God. And his point is, you can't have it all but if you've got God, then you've got the all that you need. Hmm. Another key feature of the Christian faith is that the Christian faith is not anti-pleasure and enjoying work. Um, God is a worker. He created work. Yeah. Um, it's not anti-family. It is all for family and the, the pleasure of, of relationship, friendship. Uh, even the, the, the pleasures and the enjoyment that comes through travel or entertainment, uh, the Bible is absolutely positive about all of those things it's a very material faith yeah it's pro matter yeah if you like if you rest it all in them if you're chasing all of those in the hope that they will satisfy then you're going to be disappointed and so that's why ultimately god has to sit above all of that mm -hmm. well perhaps there's another passage of the bible in the book of mm. psalms another psalm psalm 103 verses 15 and 16 which says uh, as for mortals their days are like grass they flourish like a flower of the field for the wind passes over it and it is gone and its place knows it no more. So is that sort of dealing with the idea that you've just sort of raised about the idea that sort of things come and go at sort of there's a transience to life? Yeah, not just even things come and go, but we come and go, that psalm is pointing to. And it, so what is that, what is, what's the implication of that? Well, one of the things that was really acute for me after just kind of crashing out off the back of writing this book was was just a real keen awareness of my limitations and my, my finitude. Mm -hmm. um, I had always prided myself, rather arrogantly I might say, on being able to accomplish it all, that other people might not be able to keep up, but I can. Um, and, and so one of the really um, kind of stark and painful things through the experience for me was going, I am infinite. As the psalm says, so I'm, I'm dark. I'm, I'm, you're I'm finite. finite. I'm finite. <laughs> Just to, to clarify, say, I'm very yeah, clear not, on not that. Not talking about, you're not a superhero I'm, here. That's right. Yeah. I'm finite. As the psalm says, uh, we're dust. Yeah. We're passing, we're fleeting, we're here one day, gone the next. Yeah. Um, and so realizing that is actually really, really helpful because then you actually have a, a perspective about how much I should and shouldn't try and take on. But the other thing that that psalm says is that while we're finite, God is infinite. What I was talking to you about before in terms of his constancy, mm -hmm. in fact, it says that from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. That those other things fade and pass, we fade and pass, but the constancy of him, his presence and his love. Mm. So how would you write the book differently now? Yeah, that's a good question. I have reflected on that. There's a sense in which, not radically differently, 
Right. As I said, one of the things that was really striking and actually quite humbling was just the, the, how I was struck by the fact of the disconnect between what I knew, in fact, even what I was prescribing to others as a paramedic, and actually what I was living. So there's a sense in that. But, but, but one aspect of the book that I would like to flesh out a little bit more um, is that I do talk about the positive good of pressure. Yeah. And that's certainly my testimony, that when you're under enormous pressure, even pressure to the point of it crushing you and breaking you, the Christian faith says, and my experience of this is, that God actually works through that for good. It's kind of like the lump of coal mm. that he turns into a diamond. Mm. Now, not suggesting I'm a diamond, there's a way to go there, <laughs> but that's my experience. Yeah. And that's something I think that I, I have learnt keenly and mm. would flesh out more. So how do those ideas of understanding your own finitude mm. and the sufficiency of God, how does that impact your life? Again, in the book, one of the things I do is I talk about heart change and habit change. And I think those two truths have resulted in heart change for me and habit change. And I can, I can mention three. In terms of the, the heart change, one of the things is just being keenly aware that I am dust and actually I can't do everything and being okay with that. And at the same time, recognising, well, if I can't have it all, if I've got God, that's all that I, that all that I need ultimately. So that's the heart change that I, I try and speak to myself, but also try to invite others to speak to me as well too. But then that overflows in, into habits. And let me, I can mention two habits. One is that heart change and embracing those truths gives you a real profound freedom to say no, uh, which is something I've been practicing. A little way I practice it is looking at my to-do list regularly and trying to take things off the list, mm -hmm. good things, but that I know I can't in my finitude do that. But a second habit change is getting into the practice of when I get home in the evening, turning off my phone for the couple of hours that my kids are awake for them and dinner and, and bed. Because... One of the things I noticed about trying to have it all is that I would try to have it all when I was playing with them and also still have one eye on my phone mm. and see an email or, draw, or craft a response in my head even if I wasn't typing it on the phone. And actually, that's trying to have it all and, and nobody's winning there. And so saying at this moment, in this time, I'm only present with them, that can wait till later. So Andrew, how can I handle the pressure to have it all? You know, it's twofold. One is it's recognising your limitations, that you are finite, but not just ending up there because that would leave you in despair. It's adding to that that if you can't have everything, if you can't get it all, if you've got God, then you've got all that you really need. Let me leave you with the Bible's answer to the big question. How do I handle the pressure to have it all? From Psalm 73, 26. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I look forward to you joining us next time for Bigger Questions. Please thank our guest today, Andrew Laird. Hi everyone, Rob Martin here, host of Bigger Questions. Thanks for listening to another episode and we hope you enjoyed the show. Now, this year, we're wanting to hear a bit more from you, our podcast listeners. What do you love about the show? What are the bigger questions that you have? 
Have the conversations on this podcast affected your own conversations about the bigger questions of life? Well, we'd love to know, as we really want the show to help create bigger and better conversations in our world. Now, if you have some big questions you'd like us to tackle, let us know through the link on our website, biggerquestions.org, or send us a message on our Facebook page. We'd love to hear the big questions that you're asking. Or you could just share some feedback. Now, we got a comment on the web link to last week's week's show, How Much Has the Bible Shaped Australia? with Dr. Meredith Lake. Now, Colin McLaren wrote, I am currently reading the book, The Bible in Australia, and I'm finding it very interesting and well-researched. Thank you for writing this history. Well, thanks for the comment, Colin, and thanks for listening. And yes, we agree. We think that the book is very well-researched, a very worthy winner of Australian Christian Book of the Year, and we were delighted to have Meredith as a guest on the, the show. So we're glad you found the conversation interesting. So thanks for the comment, Colin. Really appreciate that. Now, if you have a particular comment on an episode, let us know. We'd love to hear what you think. And if you think that we need more quality conversations and want to invest in bigger thinking, well, why not support our Patreon channel? For as little as US $1 per episode or per podcast, you can help us create better dialogue around the bigger questions of life. Anyway, well, thanks for listening, and we hope to hear from you soon. And tune in again next week, where we hear from the statistician Dr. Sandy Clark Airy as she shares her story of how belief in God adds up. So remember to always keep asking the bigger questions. <laughs>